You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily podcast on the Kentucky Wildcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, so going to have a blast today previewing Tennessee and Kentucky. The Volunteers are rolling 4-0 in SEC play, 14-2 on the season so far, and Kentucky reeling at the moment. It does not look like Kentucky basketball whatsoever, but it's still Kentucky, Oscar Sheeways, uh, Severe Wheeler, uh, you got some talented cats, no pun intended, and they're coming to Knoxville trying to spoil what will be Chris Lofton's jersey retirement. So if you're going to the game, get there early. Should be a fun uh, afternoon at Thompson Bowling Arena, and hopefully it'll be a Tennessee win in honor of Chris Lofton. Hey, quick reminder, I am going to be out of town next week. I've got three episodes pre-recorded and scheduled. They're going to drop on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the normal times. Uh, but I wanted to let you guys know if you tune in on Tuesday or Thursday and you're saying, hey, where's the episode? I'm out of town pre-recording all these, and we'll be back five days a week uh, coming back next uh, next week. So without further ado, let me bring in uh, Lance Daw, the host of Locked on Kentucky, to preview a little Tennessee and Kentucky here on uh, Locked, Over, Locked on Vols and Locked on Kentucky crossover edition. Lance, what's up, man? Oh, not a whole lot, Eric. You know, just melting down over here over the past couple of weeks. It's a great time to be a Kentucky Wildcat, dude. Well, first and foremost, let's just get it out of the way, and I'm sure your audience will appreciate this, but I mean, I, I don't watch Kentucky that often, you know? I mean, what's going on? Seriously, what, what what's happening right now? Kentucky's 1-3 and three in conference play, lost two straight at Alabama, which, again, Alabama's good this year, but that South Carolina loss at Rupp might be the worst loss in Kentucky's eyes in quite some time. Um, it, it, that was pretty bad. Lost Missouri a couple of weeks ago. What is going on with Coach Cal in Kentucky right now? Well, you asked what's going on with, with the team just as a whole, and it really depends on who you ask. You'll probably get a, a little bit different of an answer. Uh, some people like to blame it on the players and their lack of talent. Some people like to blame it on the coach. Calpari specifically some people are blaming it on the staff uh, for me personally I think it's got to it's got to do with coach John Calpari and the way the staff is utilizing their talent right now I would like to say that Kentucky's still got a pretty talented roster but they're just not executing and a lot of it I think in terms of confidence in terms of preparation in terms of understanding of what they need to do late in games a lot of that has to do with what Cal is coaching them off court uh, so right now, Kentucky's in a little bit of a weird spot. They brought in some transfers to maybe help them with their outside shooting. They're currently top 30 nationally, according to Kim Palm and three-point percentage. They are still uh, struggling offensively as a whole. Oscar Shibway has been getting it done on the offensive end, but defensively, he's become almost a liability, to be honest with you, for the Wildcats. If you go back and watch that Alabama game, Charles Bediaco had his way with Oscar Shibway in the paint to the point where even the announcers were saying, okay, he's got to come out of the game. Like, this is embarrassing at this point. Uh, just weird the way that Kentucky's season is shaped up. It was the preseason number one team in the country, according to Kim Palm. A lot of excitement, a lot of expectations for me personally, but just a lack of execution on the floor, a lack of confidence. And again, like I said, so many close games that Kentucky has had this year, they have just not really shown the ability to close things out. And I think a lot of it has to do with what John Calipari is doing schematically. It's just not nothing is going right late in games for the Wildcats. And if you ask a fan on the street, he may say, oh, well, the players just aren't talented. My response normally is, okay, who recruited the players? And I think a lot of it has to come back to Coach Cal. So. Tennessee's won eight of the last 13 meetings, uh, two of three last season. Uh, you, you know, Rick Barnes has had a lot of success over Kentucky since he's been at Tennessee, although Kentucky's still dominant in the series overall. 
158 to 77, dating back to 1910. Um, but Kentucky this year, of course, struggling, but specifically struggling away from Rupp Arena. I know we just talked about that South Carolina loss, but Kentucky 0 3 in true road games this season, 1 5 in total of games outside of Rupp Arena. What's going on on the road, essentially? Is it slow starts? Is it poor defense? Is it, I mean, what's happening in that regard? I think it does have to do with confidence, the mental side of things, and poor defense. Obviously, that game against Gonzaga was a really big struggle from the jump. Uh, it's very difficult to play in Spokane. It's very difficult to come out with a win against the Zags, period, wherever you are. But that game specifically, it was defense. I think the Michigan State game, it was just not having anybody that could step up and be clutch late, late in that game. Tom Izzo ran a couple of really nice sets late, not just in regulation, but in overtime to kind of give the Spartans another opportunity to, to get back into that game. I was at that game in Indianapolis, and it was just shocking to me how Kentucky just didn't look like they had a clue. It didn't look like they knew what they wanted to do. It didn't look like Severe Wheeler uh, understood what the situation was or what he had to do with the ball at times. And so it's just a lot of mismanagement, I think. It's things that could be corrected but have yet to be corrected. And you look at the games on the road. I mean, even against Michigan in London, that was a game late where Kentucky just didn't really look like they still knew what they wanted to do offensively. And they were able to pull it out with a couple of, I would say, lucky baskets. The game against UCLA, Kentucky, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they were either down by two or tied. And then they did not score for the final four minutes of the game. It was just it's lapses on the defensive end it's lapses on the offensive end it's just falling apart in the most crucial moments against some uh, a beatable competition to be honest with you i mean kentucky was in the michigan state game they were in the ucla game that south carolina game was at home but again like you said arguably the worst loss that we've seen in rupp arena for quite some time it's just nothing really going right whenever kentucky needs it to all right, well, it's two biggest horses, of course, Oscar Shibway, and he's maybe struggling defensively, as you pointed out, but he's certainly getting it done on the uh, the offensive end and, of course, doing Oscar Shibway things, leading the SEC and leading the nation with 5.7 offensive rebounds per game. He's rebounding the basketball. Severe Wheeler is also 6.3 assists per game. That's seventh in Division One basketball. What about Wheeler? How has he grown from last year to this year? And it seems like with everything going wrong with Kentucky, he's kind of doing, you know, pulling his weight, at least at the moment. Well, I think the biggest thing for him right now is his three-point shot. It was, it's not been a staple of his for his few seasons in college so far, and he got it up to almost 40% just a couple of games ago. I believe he's hovering at about 38 right now. And, look, he's had open looks in the past, and he's just not been able to knock them down. This year he's taken them and he's knocked them down. I'm really proud of the way that he's evolved as not necessarily a jump shooter. That's still not necessarily his thing to kind of create off the dribble and pull up for three. But whenever he's gotten the ball in his hands, catch and shoot, uh, I think that he's able, he's been able to execute so far this season. Also, on the offensive end, I, I don't know if statistically this is shown, but this is something if you watch the way that he runs the offense, if it's not late in game, he doesn't really turn the ball over a lot. Now, he's not doing a whole lot with it. I believe his assists are down from last year, but he's being more patient. He's being more controlling. I think he's making the right decisions early on in the game and throughout, but uh, it's it's a, it's the same bug for him, Eric, at the end of games where he will um, not necessarily do a whole lot. He'll run out the shot clock and uh, he'll he'll just kind of throw the ball away. So I think overall, Severe Wheeler has improved uh, as a player, as a shooter, as a decision maker, uh, and he's kind of been one of the two guys that has prevented Kentucky from losing some other games that they maybe could have lost, but most specifically that LSU game a couple of games ago. 
I mean, there's a lot of confidence on Tennessee's side, obviously. I mean, Tennessee's one of the best teams in the nation. It's 4-0 in SEC play. It's, I think, the number two team, according to uh, Ken Palm. It's the, you know, the number one team, according to defensive adjusted efficiency rating, all that good stuff. But, I mean, there's people saying, you know, Tennessee's going to beat Kentucky by double digits. It, it, and that might happen, but it's still Kentucky. It's still Cal. You're still coming. To t- I mean, th- these games are always epic, usually. And so for Kentucky to win this basketball game, outside of just the, the the basics make shots don't turn it over what what is Kentucky what's kind of what's the game plan attacking Tennessee in your estimation I think as far as offense goes you've got to be able to find more efficiency if you're going to shoot as many mid-range shots as Kentucky does you're going to have to be able to actually knock them down Jacob Toppin in his most recent outing I believe went one of 10 from the floor and a lot of those came around the block or just outside of the paint Kentucky's got to be able to find some consistency if that's what they want to do with their offense which analytics say it's not the most efficient shot selection But if that's what you want to do, you have to be able to actually hit those jumpers on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, I think Kentucky's got to control the paint a little bit better. And to be honest with you, I don't think Cal's comfortable putting the guys out there that I think right now could help them with that a little little bit. Ugena Onyenzo, five-star freshman, seven-footer. He, right now, I think is arguably Kentucky's best defender that they have, but he's so raw that I don't know if he's going to really be able to contribute in a lot of different areas. Oscar Shibway, six foot nine, probably going to struggle with Tennessee's length inside. I could only imagine. So it's protecting the rim on the defensive end, making sure that Tennessee doesn't get easy baskets and then knocking down your jumpers. I think that's the biggest key to this one. And then lastly, in this segment, man, how, again, I'm not trying to dwell on this, but I mean, what the fan base, the anger, like what's it like, you know, following Kentucky basketball right now? I know, Cal has, you know, spun it off a couple of times in press conferences, and he said that he would be mad too if he was a fan after after the loss of South Carolina. I mean, what's the tension like? And there's those rumors about him going to Texas and the the sign inside Rupp Arena. I mean, how's it going right now? And is it really is it that bad as it's perceived from the outside? Because I feel like it never really is. Well, to be honest with you, Eric, just based on you know not only people that I've talked to online, but people that I've talked to in person, people that are actually connected to the arena itself, uh, it's it's about as worse. It's about as bad as I've seen it, uh, as far as you know, just a frustration and upsetness throughout not only the fan base but people surrounding the university. Uh, will Coach Cal get fired? I seriously doubt it. That's something that I've said over and over again on my show. Uh, will he move, move to Texas? I'd give it probably a 25% chance, 30% chance, if I'm being completely honest with you. Will he resign? I don't know. I, my, my, bottom th- my bottom line is I don't think he's going to leave primarily because of this recruiting class coming up. If he didn't have that, I think this may be a little bit of a different conversation that we're having right now because the fan base is distraught to the point where I think some people are finally, okay, we're getting tired of hearing the Cal talk, but there's not going to be any change coming I don't think at least not for the next few weeks so a very very upset fan base probably the worst I've seen it and we'll see what happens on Saturday Tennessee hosting Kentucky noon Eastern and I know you and I both are really really looking forward to that bet online you can get the total for that game you can get the uh the 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 props first half props the uh you know the spreads for Tennessee Kentucky you know all that good stuff you can find all that at betonline.net. It's your number one source for all your sports wagering information, news, stats, and analysis, all that good stuff. They've got it all at betonline.net. And, of course, sports podcasts, like the one you're listening to right now, you can find those at BetOnline. But, of course, you got to listen to our shows first. That is the rule there. It's the fastest and the easiest way to get all your sports betting information, not just on college basketball, but, you know, college football just wrapped up a couple weeks ago with the national championship. 
Of course, the World Cup a couple months ago, that was a whole lot of fun at Bet Online. You got NFL playoffs happening right now. Not just college basketball, not just Tennessee and Kentucky for Saturday's matchup, but anything you want, reality television, <laughs> they got tons of stuff over at betonline.net. You can head on over to the website today or check it out on your mobile device, Bet Online. It is where the game starts. All right, continuing along here on the Locked On Kentucky, Locked On Vols crossover edition here. Eric Kane, Lance Dahl hanging out here with you. Eric, switching over to kind of diving into the Tennessee Volunteers, to be completely honest with you, I've not watched a lot of Tennessee this season, much very similar to you saying, oh, I've not really watched a whole lot of Kentucky. The only thing that I know about this Volunteers team is that they play really, really good defense. Tell me about it. Yeah, man. I mean, Tennessee is Tennessee's one of the best defensive teams in the country, obviously. I mean, you can look up any stat, metric, you know, defensive ranking, and Tennessee's going to be right up there at one or two. And that's a stable for Rick Barnes. You will not play for Tennessee if you do not give maximum effort on defense. It's kind of the old past summit approach, to be completely honest. It's you're going to play defense, you're going to rebound, the offense will come. You can win games if your defense travels. And that's kind of when Tennessee's MO under Rick Barnes. It was especially Tennessee's MO earlier in the season. Now, last week against Mississippi State and against South Carolina. Now, granted, those are not two you know, juggernauts in the SEC, but Mississippi State's a really good defensive team. And Tennessee combined to beat those two squads by 77 points. The offense had an outburst last week to where it's saying, okay, if you're going to play consistent defense and you're going to score like that, now, <laughs> you know, it's a long way until March, but goodness gracious, if you get that type of performance come tournament time, you're going to be, it's going to be hell on wheels to stop, right? So Tennessee's really, really good, you know, playing defensive basketball. And of course, I think Zakai Ziegler, who doesn't start, he's the sixth man off the bench, but plays starter minutes. It all starts with him at the perimeter up top. Josiah Jordan James is a really good defender. Now he's been hurt a lot this season. He's been back the last three games coming off the bench as well. And that that's another thing about Tennessee. So deep quality depth. You got Santiago Vescovi that leads the team in scoring that is going to be out there playing 26, 27 minutes a game. Transfer Tyreek Key has come over, and he's not really flash as much as Tennessee would like for him to, but he's a veteran, and he's a good presence, and he's smart with the basketball, and typically he shoots the ball pretty well when he does shoot. But the emergence of the post players, you got freshman Julian Phillips, who was a highly touted prospect coming in and, and starting. He scored 25 points against USC back in uh, – the battle for Atlantis or the ball, whatever tournament they played in around Thanksgiving. That was football season. Let's be honest. <laughs> he looked really good in that regard, but his offense kind of disappeared. It's come back. He looked pre pretty good and aggressive against Vanderbilt, but Julian Phillips is good. And then Olivier Cumwall and Uros Blasic, along with Jonas Adu and Toby Awaka. I mean, Tennessee's got depth and that, I think that's one of the biggest differences from Tennessee this year compared to years past is they can go 10 deep and really not lose, not lose a beat, but it all starts with defense if you don't play good defense, then you're not going to play whatsoever. And Toby Awaka, like another guy off the bench, plays really good defense and rebounds the basketball well for Tennessee. You make a good point about the rotation here, and that's what I was actually going to get to next is yeah, I'm a big proponent of Kim Palm. I, I really like to dive into the numbers over on that site. And one of the most interesting things that I like to take a look at is starting rotations, you know, which players are utilized the most in, in different lineups. But when you look at the way that Tennessee utilizes their, their players in terms of contributors, how often they're used within possessions, normally on Kim Palm, you have these different layers of significant contributors, role players, bench warmers, almost non-existent. There's normally like four or five tiers for every team. Tennessee essentially has two. They have a very balanced rotation in terms of how often these players are utilized 
whenever they're actually in the game and Toby Akawa, somewhere, someone that you just mentioned, actually one of the significant contributors whenever he's actually on the floor. Now, mm -hmm. one of the smallest uh, in terms of percentage of minutes, but he's definitely getting a different, a decent amount of shots up in that time. Very balanced team. This is something I noted uh, just a couple of weeks ago when I was doing my SEC preview, uh, arguably one of the most balanced in the country. When you look at their record so far, Eric, 14-2 and two overall, like you said, uh, strung together some really nice wins and SEC play to start this off. A couple of weird non-con losses, uh, Eric, one to Colorado, one to Arizona. Take me through kind of what has hurt the Volunteers this season and what has kind of given them those two losses. Yeah, I mean, Colorado, I mean, <laughs> what the heck, right? I, mean, I don't Grambling, get it. Grambling State beat Colorado like a couple of days before Tennessee lost to Colorado, and it was just a circumstance where offense didn't travel, and they, they, weren't playing their, they weren't playing their defense that they typically are. They were being sloppy on the perimeter. They were giving up second-chance opportunities, and credit those teams, Colorado and Arizona both, were taking advantage of those second-chance opportunities. Now, Arizona was a little bit different. Arizona is not Colorado, as we know. Arizona is a a quality basketball team. It was a top 10 matchup on the road. It was at their house. Tennessee got Arizona here last year. And so you thought that you might give that away. And Tennessee wasn't playing inspired basketball whatsoever in that game there towards the end. Credit Tennessee made a nice little comeback, lost that game by five, 75 to 70. But again, just you know, sometimes it's as simple as shots are not falling, right? And, and, and Tennessee, unfortunately, has those lapses offensively sometimes. Here lately, it has not been the case. Again, I mentioned the outburst against Mississippi State. I mentioned against South Carolina. But the week before that against Ole Miss, Tennessee went on the road to kick off SEC play, and Tennessee scored 63 points. Just just got by Ole Miss. That's not a juggernaut whatsoever as well. So um, you're going to get that from Tennessee sometimes. But again, if you play the defense that Rick Barnes instills in you, that defense travels, it will give you an opportunity uh, to win every single game. So Tennessee's been pretty sharp so far. The Colorado loss can't, I mean, you know, can't quantify it. have no clue, but hey, that's basketball. Arizona loss, I mean, that's going to end up being a pretty decent loss for Tennessee or one that won't hurt them as bad. But, you know, sometimes, and again, that was a true road environment, really the first true road game they had with all that environment and all that so far this season. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, Tennessee's got a couple of nights. Tennessee will be on the road uh, Tuesday and Saturday after the Kentucky game on Saturday. And I'm uh, looking forward to seeing what they look like against Mississippi State and LSU as well. Uh, another interesting Kim Palm note here, Eric. I hate to just sit here and talk stats, but another stat that I really like is adjusted offensive efficiency. Over the past four seasons, Tennessee's just kind of been climbing the ranks after that really, really good 2019 season. They were 96th in 2020. Then they moved up to 85th in 2021. 2022, they were 35th. This year, they're 28th. You talk about the inconsistencies. When you look at this matchup with Kentucky, though, Eric, what do you expect from the Volunteers on the offensive end of the floor? Well, I think Tennessee's going to continue to try to feed what's been working here lately. And it was a little bit of a, a softer performance offensively for Olivier Kumwa against Vanderbilt. But coming into that game against Vanderbilt, the last two games, again, I keep referencing these games, but Mississippi State and South Carolina, Olivier Cumball was 10 for 10. Um, yeah, he was, no, he was 15 to 15 for 32 points. Hadn't missed a shot, and he had like 12 rebounds. I mean, he was he was on fire. He's playing inspired and confident basketball. And the same with Julian Phillips. It's been that way the last couple of games, even though he's only gotten double figures two of the last seven games. But there's been kind of a, a switch, I feel like, that's been flipped for the young freshman, and he's playing aggressive. He's wanting the basketball and trying to work inside and out. Now, Tennessee will take its three-pointers. That's just kind of how they play. And, you know, Tennessee shot 21 th uh, three-pointers, which is not 
nearly as much as they've shot before. But Santiago Vesuvi is going to jack up probably six or seven every single game. Tyreek Key will throw up a couple. Uh, you got uh, Zakai Zeal that will do the same. Josiah Jordan James will get opportunities, and he'll shoot six to six to eight three-pointers in that game. And so far here lately, Tennessee's kind of been falling in that regard. But I expect them to continue to go back to the well, work inside and out with the exception of Vescovy, and, and try to find some scoring that way because that is what's been working well for Tennessee the last couple of games. Two teams that re- rebound the, the ball really well on the offensive end, squaring off against each other. Eric, I'm not even going to ask you what your final score prediction is for this one. I'm just going to ask you how badly do you think Tennessee is going to beat Kentucky tomorrow? Here's the thing, man. I, I I don't. I mean, I do think Tennessee will win, but I'm not going to sit here and say Tennessee's going to, you know, win by 20 or 30 points or whatever. Again, I, this is still Kentucky. It's still early in the season as an opposing fan base, especially an opposing rival fan base. Is it fun to crack jokes on that on, on Kentucky right now? Absolutely, it is. But Kentucky's still got good players. It's still got a Hall of Fame coach, and it's still young in the season to where I think that they're going to figure it out. So I'm not saying they're going to win a national championship or anything, but there's a lot of talent there. And again, there's Oscar Sheboy, Wheeler, some of these guys we continue to mention. You know, they're still playing. So I think Tennessee will win. I like Tennessee by double figures, but maybe maybe ten, maybe eleven points would not shock me whatsoever if this comes down to be a nail biter. But Lance, I don't know if you mentioned on the show, but I've mentioned it in my open. I mean, this is this is a Jersey retirement celebration for Chris Lofton, a Tennessee legend, one of the greatest college basketball players, in my opinion, you know, that's ever played. And there's going to be a lot of emotion. There's going to be a lot of hype in that building. And so I have a hard time believing that Tennessee is going to fall on this one. So I'll take Tennessee somewhere around 10 points, but I do think it'll be close throughout. Yeah, and what, what better way to end the weekend for the Wildcats than to completely throw all of that out the window and somehow <laughs> miraculously uh, pick up a victory. I'd love to see nothing more than that. I just don't have a lot of faith in the Wildcats, not necessarily with, with their talent. I think it's a very talented group. It's just where they're at mentally right now, where the locker room's at. Apparently, there's some issues going on within the locker room, maybe some clashing personalities. I, I just don't know where this team's chemistry's at right now. So going up against a team that is taller than you, that rebounds the ball just as well as you do, and plays incredible defense in a very tough environment. And not only on top of that, not only is the mental side of things for this year kind of affecting the Wildcats, but like you mentioned, what was it? Tennessee winning eight of the last 13 games uh, against the Wildcats or something to that effect. I mean, this is just a momentum builder uh, for Tennessee right now. It almost feels like I don't want to say a stepping stone for their season. I don't want to diminish my Wildcats that much, but – I need to see something out of Kentucky, even if it is. If it's an 8- or 10-point loss, I'm honestly satisfied. Relative to what happened against Alabama, if we can cut it close, if we can keep it competitive, I would be I would be happy. And that's so weird to say, coming from somebody that covers Kentucky basketball, but I'm down right now, man. I'm beat. This is about as bad as I've seen it. I don't know where to take it other than saying, man, next year's team should be sweet if Cal doesn't leave and the recruits stay. But I would feel comfortable saying somewhere between 13 to 15, uh, in, in favor of the Vols, again, it's just it's on the road. Like you mentioned, Wildcats have struggled away from Rupp. They've even lost at Rupp uh, most recently, so probably going to be a bit of a tough one uh, for uh, for John Calipari for sure. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, there's going to be a whole lot of motion in the house, and uh, looking forward to checking that out at noon Eastern from Thompson Bowling Arena. It'll be Tennessee and Kentucky. Here for second number three, a Locked On crossover edition. I'm Eric Kane, host of Locked On Vols. Lance Daw, host of Locked On Kentucky. Of course, we're all excited for that Tennessee-Kentucky rivalry matchup on Saturday. But I'm going to do a little shift gears here. And, of course, we want to uh, we want to talk a little uh, little football as well because 
you know, that that's something that a lot of our fan bases like. Tennessee and Kentucky on the gridiron. Devin Leary coming over from North Carolina State. Transfer portal edition for the Wildcats. Lance, how's the fan base? What's the excitement level for the new quarterback? Well, I'll go ahead and tell you, Eric. I think statistically we're probably going to see a rise uh, on the offensive side of the ball for the Wildcats for a couple of reasons. And to be honest with you, I don't think all of it has to do with the quarterback. Devin Leary, obviously a great quarterback at NC State when he was healthy, 62 passing touchdowns, only 16 interceptions over the course of four seasons. Look, I think that not only was he very productive with NC State, but I think he's going to be very productive for the Wildcats uh, in what should be a much improved offensive system. Liam Cohen coming back uh, for for the Kentucky Wildcats after Rich Gangarello was heading up the offense as the OC last year. Uh, I expect big things from this unit. I expect big things from Devin Leary. I expect big things from Barry and Brown, a Dane Key. You're going to see a lot of receiver production coming back for the Wildcats. All signs point to, hey, we want to be negative about Kentucky basketball. We want to be negative about what's going on there. I am all for what's going to happen under Liam Cohen and Mark Stoops next season for the Kentucky Wildcats football team. Very thrilled to see maybe a resurgence on that side of the ball after a very disappointing year, uh, I would say, for the Wildcats. Lance, I'm going to talk in circles here for a moment while you take care of this. Your webcam is off. <laughs> but uh, you got Devin Leary coming in from NC State, and, and he was, in my opinion, one of the better quarterbacks in the country in the 2021 season. He was phenomenal. He wasn't horrible this year, but he, you know, he wasn't like he was in 2021. Sometimes all you need is that that play caller and that quarterback to kind of make some things work. I mean, look at look at Hendon Hooker. He was oh, there. You go. I see you now. He was a, a longtime starter at Virginia Tech, but coming over and having that marriage with Josh Heupel, it just kind of clicked. So, if I'm Kentucky, I am thrilled because let, let's let's be completely honest here. All right, Will Levis, he is the butt of all jokes, and honestly, deservedly so right now because of all the hype that he's getting. I mean, it's not his fault. Good for him. He will still be a top ten NFL draft pick, which. I, I understand the measurables and everything, but like he did not play like that. Devin Leary will outplay Will Levis 100%. So if I'm a Kentucky fan, I'm excited. You mentioned the receivers, Barry and Brown, a Tennessee native. Dane Key uh, you know, got off to a good start last year, and then uh, Tavian Robinson announced that he's staying. But the biggest addition is, is Liam Cohn. I, I thought Kentucky was on its way for uh, of doing something in 2021. I thought Levis played better. I thought Kentucky not... It's not just a shutdown defensive team under Mark Stoops, but they had a little flair to them offensively. The pieces are kind of there for a rebound year for Kentucky offensively, in my opinion. I absolutely agree. And and like you said, it's not just the quarterback. It's not just the receivers. It's the offensive coordinator. I think that's going to be pulling some weight here. It's interesting you mentioned stuff about Will Levis. Look, I obviously am a big Will Levis fan, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend like his season that he had this past year was incredible. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it was even good uh, by by any stretch. And a lot of it, I think, had to do with the with the offensive line that he was working with. Um, but obviously, you have to be able to, if you're going to be an NFL quarterback, then show me what you can do whenever your offensive line breaks down. And his running ability was completely taken away. Uh, I think that you did see glimpses. You do like the frame. You do like the size. But we're not here right now. And it's very similar. Honestly, tie this back into Kentucky basketball. We're not here to to, to bring up pro prospects. We're here to get kids that can actually win for Kentucky instead of winning in the pros. It'll be great if they can maybe go to the NFL draft or the NBA draft. Will Levis, obviously, like you said, going to be a top 10 pick. But Devin Leary, I don't necessarily know, based off his measurables and based on the fact that he's coming back for a fifth year in college, is going to be some type of NFL 
you know, NFL draft guy. I'm surely, surely he'll get drafted, but I don't think he's going to be any, any top draft pick, but he's a good college quarterback. Like you said, he's going to win for Kentucky. I think he's going to win more than they did last year. I've not looked at the schedule, but I do know if I'm not mistaken that we do get the Tennessee volunteers. Is that game at home? If I'm not mistaken in Lexington. Yeah, so yeah. I, I'm, I'm eager to see what that looks like now that Hendon Hooker is gone. I'm curious to see what Josh Heupel does in that one. I'm intrigued to see it as well because, I mean, I don't think anybody saw 44-6 to this year. I mean, I, no. I had Tennessee winning that game, but I didn't have Tennessee winning that game before Kentucky got off the bus. I mean, that was – you talk about Will Levis, too. And, again, I'm not trying to just clown on Will Levis because, again, he will be a top-10 draft pick. That's going to happen. I mean, he had 98 yards passing in that game. He had, like, two picks. I mean, Tennessee's defense, which – was not great. It did take a step forward, but it wasn't great. It kind of shut him down. Uh, but I, I just I don't think anybody saw forty four to six this past year. I mean Tennessee Kentucky here of late. I know Tennessee fans say you know Kentucky like you know little brother kind of like Vanderbilt just because the series history in football that's how it's been. But there's been a lot of competitive games and Kentucky's of course won a couple of the last couple of years. Um, it turned out to be a pretty good showcase between the two uh, two programs. So next year. It'll be the Joe Milton show. Um, there'll be new faces at wide receiver, same offense, same play car for the most part. I'm intrigued to see what that kind of looks like. Tennessee has brought in seven players from the transfer portal to date. Probably the biggest splash was Dante Thornton, the wide receiver of Oregon. They brought in a, a tight end, McCallan Castles of UC Davis, a couple offensive linemen. What's been the big portal additions outside your quarterback that Kentucky can speak of so far? Well, Kentucky's gotten a couple of big additions in the portal, but also they've lost a couple of big additions in the portal. Most recently, they lost uh, they lost Justin Rogers, a defensive lineman, a high four star, yeah. uh, actually, believe it or not, to the Auburn Tigers just a couple uh, just a couple of days ago. Right now, Kentucky really struggling overall uh, in terms of what they're doing on the recruiting trail, but they got a big, big, big addition in Keyshawn Silver, maybe to kind of replace Justin Rogers in his production. Former five star was at North Carolina. I mean, look, we're excited about Devin Leary, but I'm thrilled to see what Keyshawn Silver can do as a former five-star for the Kentucky Wildcats. Everybody wants to make a big deal about what's going on in the O-line. But that defensive line, Kentucky has developed, and they have developed well over the past few seasons. Last year was no exception. A guy like Silver is definitely going to bring a lot of hype and excitement to this group. Uh, again, outside of him, outside of Silver and Leary, I mean, you can be excited about the running back, Ray Davis, the transfer from Vanderbilt. I'm not particularly, you know, sold on that yet. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to be the bell cow back that Kentucky needs him to be. I just want to see him actually do that for Kentucky as opposed to a place like Vanderbilt. We'll see. But right now, Kentucky's getting pieces that I definitely think can help them. Silver and Leary, most importantly. Last thing I got for you in terms of Kentucky, just football and everything. Talk about Barry and Brown a little bit. I mean, a lot of Tennessee fans are upset because he got out of the state. Um, nonetheless, he had a really, really good freshman campaign. I mean, that guy's going to play in the NFL. I mean, kick returner, punt returner, wide receiver, except on the football field, made an immediate impact. How big of an addition was he and how big of an addition or how big was it to hold on to him? Because, I mean, the rumors were that he was trying to get out of town in a hurry. And thankfully, he was able to come out and just clarify, hey, look, I'm not going anywhere. And that's very, very good for the Wildcats moving forward. Led the team in receiving yards, uh, had a 70-yard touchdown, and one game was crucial in a couple of Kentucky's biggest games this season. It was the speed, man. It was the speed that Kentucky wanted. And look, pair him up with Devin Leary. I think the long ball is going to look real nice. You talk about Tennessee and the way that they threw the ball downfield last year. I don't think Kentucky's going to get quite near that level of what Hendon Hooker and everybody was doing this season, but man, I'm excited to see how Kentucky's explosive passing game looks next year. And a lot of it has to do 
with what Barry Ann Brown and then his uh, his uh, receiver on the other side, Bear, uh, excuse me, Dane Key does. Very, very thrilled to see what these two guys do again. Uh, product out of Tennessee, very, very fast guy, had a phenomenal game against Georgia, scored the only touchdown that the Wildcats had in that contest, 16-6, to had 145 yards receiving. Not a lot of receivers say it can say that they did that against the Bulldogs this past season. Uh, again, really, really important for the Wildcats in a couple of their big games uh, this season. So, yeah, it was the speed. It was just the overall athleticism, I think, for, from both him and Dane Key. Thankfully, these guys are young. Otherwise, I would be expecting them to to make a move to the NFL. They are they are legitimate receivers. Yeah, yeah, they're good. They're good. I remember scouting them before Tennessee played them. And a lot. I do want to ask about one more player. Uh, probably one of the most frequently asked players uh, in Tennessee history about you know is he playing? Is he here? Is he healthy? What positions he playing? Where's he practicing? was D Beckwith and it never worked out in Tennessee and I know he's not playing a big role for Kentucky but is there any chatter about D Beckwith he's he's got such a unique kind of build like he played wide receiver tied he played quarterback a little bit in high school came to Tennessee as a wide receiver they put him at running back I feel like he's got the frame to play tight end but you can't just go play tight end if you never play tight end I mean you're you know that's that's kind of a hard ask what's the story with D Beckwith in in, in Lexington right now I'm actually, to be honest with you, I remember us talking about him last year and about how excited I was to see a six foot five <laughs> man in the backfield. And dude, we saw him for what five carries? I think it was last year. He got three against Tennessee. I know yeah. that. I remember talking about that. Not a whole lot of chatter going on with D Beck, but D Beck with I'm disappointed, but I'm not counting him out just yet with Chris Rodriguez, Cavassier Smoke leaving. Cavassier, by the way, just landed at Colorado the other day, if I'm not mistaken. I'm excited to see what Beckwith could do if given more opportunities because it's not very often, again, like I said, you see a six foot five, 230 pound man in the backfield. Didn't really get a whole lot of opportunity. Was it because they didn't like what they saw in practice? Possibly. Maybe he's just not cut out to be that SEC style back, but I, you can't just look away from him. I mean, you can't look away from a former linebacker. I would love to see the man get more touches and. I would expect him to maybe find his way a little bit deeper into the rotation this season, again, just based on the fact that Kentucky's losing a couple of guys. Again, I feel like he just fits a Kentucky-style running back. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> he just fits, yeah. All right, Locked On Kentucky host Lance Daw. I am Locked On Vols host Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys uh, joining us for a little Locked On crossover edition. It is Tennessee. It is Kentucky. That's coming up tomorrow, noon Eastern time at Thompson Bowling Arena. We'll see if Tennessee can continue its hot streak and uh, get to 5-0 and in SEC play. We'll see if Kentucky can bounce back, snap a two-game losing skid, and pick up win number two in Southeastern Conference play. We will see what happens. 40 minutes will tell the tale. It's coming up at noon Eastern tomorrow. Appreciate you guys for joining us. Lance, thank you so much. We'll do it again as you listen and watch a little Locked On Crossover Edition, Locked On Vols, and Locked On Kentucky.